Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Jeremy Slate. Jeremy is the founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, which is ranked number one in New and Noteworthy and number one in the business category, as well as number 78 in the iTunes Top 100. How the heck are you, Jeremy? Hey, I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. It is an absolute pleasure, and I really do appreciate your time. Totally. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's jump right in. What is your story? Wow. Um, gosh, man, it's, it's kind of a, a, a long and winding road, I guess, as the Beatles said. Um, my original like goal and what I wanted to do in life is I wanted to be a college professor. So, you know, I went to undergrad for um, world religions. I was a double major in Catholic theology and world religions. And uh, then I studied in uh, Europe at New College, Oxford, got my master's in ancient history, which I found out when I graduated was an apparently very, very not marketable skill. Um, so the job market, needless to say, when I got out was not very exciting. So I ended up working for a period of, gosh, about a year and a half after I got out of, I got, got out of grad school where I was painting houses and also managing a gym. So I was working like 17 hours a day, um, sleeping and seeing my girlfriend in between, and that, and that was pretty much about it. And I ended up running into um, a priest friend of my family that was like, hey, you know, the, the private school that, that I'm the principal at needs some teachers. And like to teach in private school in New Jersey, you don't need like a degree other than like your, your subject area. So I ended up doing that. And it was weird, man. I got to tell you, because this was like 2000... 11 2012 somewhere around there and like when I went to school like and I'm not saying like I'm some like old dude because I'm only 31 but like when I went to school like if you had a flip phone you were really cool and now like it's just a different situation because like the kids have smartphones so like their whole game all day was trying to get you to yell at them so they could put you on YouTube or like Snapchat or like one of those things and like that was every single day for me so I was burnt out in like a year and a half and about a year into that process, my mom ended up having a really bad stroke. And for me, that kind of just like, you know, snapped something into me. Like, you know, is there something more to this? Like, what am I, what am, why am I doing what I hate, you know, when somebody close to me, you know, almost lost her life. And, you know, she's permanently disabled from that. And, you know, we're lucky to still have her. But for me, that was a moment that really struck me. And from there, I actually ended up uh, jumping full-time into network marketing, which I didn't know what that was. Somebody showed me this video and I'm like, oh, a million bucks like tomorrow. That's going to be awesome. Um, that didn't happen. Um, but it was kind of a great boot camp in terms of like business because I had no experience. From there, I ended up going into selling life insurance, trying to sell products on Amazon, and I failed at pretty much everything. And it wasn't until late 2014 when I actually ended up working at a friend's web design company because I taught myself how to code from YouTube videos and stuff like that when I started the Create Your Own Life show. And it took off fast, man. Like it, it really took off in, in like mid-2015. And all of a sudden I was talking to all these people I admired, all these people I really wanted to talk to. And people started asking me, well, how can you do this for me? How can you help me get attention? And how can you help me get noticed? So we started our company, Command Your Brand Media, a little over three years ago. And in that time we've helped clients appear on thousands of shows and, and now recently we're trying to take more responsibility for the podcast space so we're actually helping podcasters to grow and monetize because it's not okay with all the value that they're putting out there that they aren't making money that's amazing let's jump back into your early life sure so what was your childhood like what sort of home were you raised in um i had two awesome parents growing up you know they were they were really great, took really good care of me. Um, I was an only child, which I found out at some point in time made socialization difficult early on. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But here's, here's the thing I found out, like I, it made me like a self studier. Like I was always learning. I was always trying to do stuff. I was always like, um, I built a, a five foot long model of the Titanic out of Legos and it actually floated. Um, like, like things like that. I was a very into like things that had to do with engineering and technology and things like that. So I would just spend hours and hours and hours on, on, on things like that. And if I look at, I guess how that relates to my life now, I'm still very into problem solving and things like that. So I was always a problem solver. Um, you know, I was always somebody that was in athletics. I wrestled all through school. Um, and you know, my senior year of high school, I actually started powerlifting. So that's another thing that's been with me my entire life is I was a competitive powerlifter for a number of years. Why do you think 
the engineering and the building this little model Titanic that mm-hmm. actually floated. Why do you think that called out to you at such a young age? Um, my dad was actually a self-taught engineer. So for me, it was actually always really, really like, like, I don't know, as a kid, I thought my, and, and I guess a lot of kids are like this. You think your, your dad or your mom is the coolest. Cause my, my dad, um, he played professional baseball for a couple of years, but ended up, you know, just not really getting to the next level in it. So he decided, you know, I'm going to get into engineering and he actually taught himself how to do that. So I always looked up to my dad and everything. I just remember the first time I could run faster than him. I thought it was like a big deal because my dad was the fastest guy in the world. Right. Like, so if you're beating dad, like, like that's gotta be cool. So I always looked up to him in that way. And we'd work on a lot of this stuff together. Like it'd be a Legos or I don't even know if you remember these things they are called erector sets where you build like the, these metal like things with screws and stuff like that. So I was always doing things like that. And I, and I guess a lot of it was inspired because I looked up to my dad a lot. You know, he, he would, um, he, he ran a lot of these factories and stuff. So he'd take me into the factories and, and take apart some of the machines and show me inside of them and introduce me to people that worked for him and, um, you know, showed me how rubber injection molding and stuff like that works. So I, it was always, interesting to me and and it, it's funny because I don't feel like I realize that as much now until I'm talking to you here now that a lot of that for me was interesting from learning from my dad you mentioned self-study and mm-hmm. how because you were an only child that was uh, ever pervasive in 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 your life but sure. can you talk about like a little bit more about how that actually manifested I mean were you just always hitting the books or were you just learning on your own? Like, what did that really look like for you? Well, I feel like some of it was like, you know, there was a curiosity there and my, my parents tried to enable that, which is good because you want to help your parents, you want to help your kids do that. So like, you know, I'm in New Jersey, which is big for the Revolutionary War because um, George Washington was here, stuff like that. So we actually visited a lot of places as a kid. You know, Washington's headquarters is in Morristown, New Jersey. We did that. Um, we went to like Liberty Science Center. We did a lot of these different things. So my parents were really great in terms of that. But in terms of like how I was studying, I played a lot of a lot of historical type games like um, Age of Empires or um, Risk, stuff like that. And I also was a huge, huge reader. I was reading um, like Tom Clancy and stuff at like the age of like, I think, 10 or 11. So I was reading a lot of stuff like that. And I was also like like anything I was consuming had something to do with history. And I think for me that that's always been the interest pattern. I. I, I kind of sparked this obsession around the age of 13 or 14 in Alexander the Great, and that ended up actually being what my grad thesis was on. So for me, it was always like, it just was so something that called to me, you know what I mean? I always wanted to understand, like, why did this happen? Why did this occur? Like, I remember when, when uh, Wikipedia first came out, that was like the worst thing that anybody could have given me, because I'd sit for hours going through the link that leads to the link that leads to the link, because I always wanted to understand, like, where did this come from? Why did it happen? Do you feel like that curiosity and that desire to always learn more and going deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you feel like that has actually helped you in your life? And in how, like, how do you enable it, right? Or, or do you mm-hmm. enable it? Well, I, I guess there's two ways to look at that, Ben. Like, like there's the positives of it where I've learned how to do a lot of things. But then there's the negative of it where I think sometimes you're like, oh, well, I can do that. And you can do it at like, you know, a cursory level where you can like do it just enough. So because of that, you don't hand it off to somebody else. So I think for me, it's been a constant battle of, okay, I want to get really good at something, but how can I get good at it, write it up and hand it off to somebody? So it, at times it's really helped me, but at times it's hindered me. And I think it's something that as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better with because you have to realize sometimes if you want to take yourself out of the equation, you become you know, the, the gridlock to whatever you're doing. Why do you think Alexander the Great was such a – such a draw to you i mean what about his story or 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 his character who he was drew you in um there's a a legend about alexander the great that um which because first of all i absolutely loved uh the iliad and uh the iliad is the story of of, uh achilles and, and and hector and all that kind of stuff and um there's, there's a story about him that he actually slept with a copy of this under the pillow because he was obsessed with it. So he wanted to be this historical character. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. So for me, that always like drew me in and I'm always like very interested in that. So, you know, I, I don't know. There's just, I feel like a little bit more about it that called to me. I was very interested in how he was very decisive, decisive and, and did a lot. Like he won his first battle, the battle of Chironia, 
um, in 330 BC at the age of 18. Like that doesn't happen. You, you know what I mean? I, I found like he was very proficient at a very young age. And to me, that was always inspiring and interesting. Now there's the other side of it where people say, hey, he was an egomaniac and he was crazy and he was this and he was that. But I look at it more as the accomplishments because by the age of 32, when he had died, he conquered what was known as the known world, you know, Europe, Africa and Asia. Like nobody had ever done that before. So and then, you know, even like Roman emperors were pattering themselves off Alexander. Um, the Roman gen general Pompey was pattering himself off Alexander. So to me, it was always interesting that this one person impacted history to such a point that other people were trying to be him and other people were trying to copy him. And he actually shifted, you know, the worldview at that point in time because he conquered all these territories and made them Greek. You mentioned how you've been a reader from mm -hmm. a very young age. Do you think that that has been helpful to you? And and do you think that, like, like why do you think that reading has been so important from such a young age? Well, because I, th I think first and foremost, if you're like an entrepreneur that has a vision and wants to create something, you have to be a dreamer, right? You have to be somebody that can create. And I think for me, like, like always being interested in things like, you know, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and, and things like that. I was always interested in like, you know, creation and things that were, you know, dreamy and, and, and science fiction and things like that. So I think because of that, it's enhanced my ability to create because I think sometimes you could, if, if you're not a reader, if you're not somebody that's interested in growing, you can be very narrow minded about what you're doing. So for me, it's made me look at a lot of different things as, okay, well, what's the possibilities with this? Or what can I do with this? Or what can I create with this? Rather than like, oh, that's a book. Cool. Awesome. Let's get another one. Like, and I think, I think a lot of times people look at something for face value and not the opportunity it can create or what you can do with it. And I think as somebody that was consistently a reader, and, and I'll say a reader of fantasy and science fiction, like, because for me, that was a lot of what I was reading. Um, and, and also like, you know, political fiction and stuff like that. You, you, you create a certain viewpoint, which is something I've kind of carried with me through my life. You also mentioned how you played a lot of video games when you were younger. Is, did that kind of fall in that same channel uh, of like you got to um, create through that or, or, or learn or expand your mind? Or why did video games draw you in? So I, I, I guess to expand on that, like I really wasn't a huge video game player per se, but like games that I played would be like Age of Empires and, and stuff like that that had to do with like conquests and things. Um, you know, like like even now, like I haven't I haven't bought a video game system since PS2 came out. So what was that like, you know, like 15 years ago? So I wasn't always a huge video game player, um, but it was more like games that would have been like, it could have been a board game as well, like strategy type stuff. So to me, it was learning about strategy. It was learning about what would your opponent do? What, you know, what's the broader, you know, ramifications of what's going to happen here? Because if you're looking at a lot of the games I was playing, they were either strategy games or war games or stuff like that. So you have to think of, you know, what's going to happen in a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. And there's bigger ramifications you have to think of with that. So for me, that that's, I guess, really what I was getting out of that. You mentioned how because you were a uh, an only child mm -hmm. that you, you had some different experiences with socializing um, than, than maybe some other people did. Can mm -hmm. you talk about what specifically those struggles were and then how you've worked to really move through that? Um, it was difficult to like get into groups as a kid, you know what I mean? And, and the reason being because like, so, um, my mom was a beautician. So like she always like had me in the shop and stuff like that. So like I talked to adults all the time. So like I was good with adults. I could handle like talking to adults and things like that. It was kids I was really having trouble adjusting with. So, um, you know, that was something I had to learn. And I had to learn how to I had to learn how to fit in. And it's interesting because I never quite fit in. But I don't think a lot of people that are entrepreneurs and are creating things and are doing things differently do ever really fit in. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's so for me, it was kind of having to learn more of the soft skills that um, a lot of people have to develop for their age because I actually had them further ahead in age from where I was. And kids in your age group don't know what to do with that because you're like, oh, well, you know, I know what's happening with the president right now. or I know what's happening with with blah. Um, kids don't care about that. So it comes off a little bit weird. So you have to kind of learn how to basically tailor what you're doing to your audience. And for me, that's that's really what I was trying to do at that standpoint. It's interesting because, you know, it seems like at some level, yeah, you kind of have to learn how to fit in with with the other kids. But then at some other level. It's like, oh, wait a second. I don't want to fit in. I want to stand out and, <laughs> right. and be awesome, right? 
Yeah. So how do I mean? Is that still something that 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 you work? You know, you're working through, or or like, what are your thoughts on that? So I'll tell you what, Ben. Like, like it kind of taught me. Like, I don't want to sound like a jerk here, but I I kind of learned that other people's opinions don't really matter early on, if you know what I mean. Because I think sometimes we stop ourselves because of, oh, what's this person gonna think, or what's this person gonna do? Like, like I was picked on a lot as a kid because I, um, you know, didn't fit in. So like. I don't really care what they think. I'm going to go out and, you know, create something big or I'm going to do something. So I think honestly, it made me want to stand out more and want to do more. And I, I, I think that's really what people that are challenging, you know, the threshold of society do, you, you know what I mean? And, and I think to me, that was the bigger lesson I learned there. When you, when you did learn that, that mm-hmm. lesson, and, and maybe it's a constant thing where you're well, always it's, it's something that took a while, man. Like it's not something you learn right away. Like when, like when you're a younger kid, like, it stinks. Like it's not fun. It's not fun to have you shoved in a locker and have your head put in a toilet and stuff like that. But you realize it's it's interesting because you look at those people that were doing that when you were younger and they're the ones that aren't doing anything now, if you get what I'm saying. So it's like, it's like understanding, okay, this is their game. That's where they're at. I'm going to go create a bigger game and do something bigger. So I, I, it's, it's something that's a learning uh, thing. Like it's not something you get right away, man. Whenever it started to click for you a little bit more, um, how did that change your outward expression of yourself? Like, I'll, I'll give you maybe an example. Sure. Um, you know, I feel like with a lot of entrepreneurs, when they first start out, and I totally am still struggling with this, um, there's like this, this balance of, okay, I need to be professional, so I need to have my suit on and my tie and be super professional. But then it's also <laughs> like on the other side, oh, I want to stand out. Like, I, I'm a goofy person. I want to have fun. I want to have fun with people I do business with. How do you, like, how did you balance that and what did it look like for, or maybe you didn't balance it, but what did that look like for you when you kind of broke through that dilemma, if you will? I, I don't know that that was ever really a dilemma for me because I was just kind of like, you know, I, I am who I, who, I am who I am and, I, and I'm not really going to change that for anybody else. So for me, I was always just being me. It's just a matter of, you know, I was getting some backlash when I was younger, but you can, it's, it's interesting, right? Like you put yourself out there, you kind of, you get some backlash, right? So you put yourself out there again, you get some more backlash. You put yourself out there, out there and out there and out there. Eventually you start getting less and less and less and less. And that backlash actually turns to admiration. And, and I think really it's the ability to continue saying, all right, I'm going to put myself out there. I don't care what they say. I'm going to put myself out here. I don't care what they say. And you have to understand, you have to continually be doing that. Um, because it's it's amazing when you do that for a long period of time, it will turn around and turn admiration. But you have to be willing to do that. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to stand through that. Is that something that you see is a common obstacle for your clients who have podcasts? Um, you know, not really, because we deal with a lot of people that already want to be out there. You, you know what I mean? It's 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 a lot of times by the time they've gotten to me, they're like, "Hey, I want to be out there. I want the attention, man. This is awesome. Let's do it." Um. You know, you know, you know what I mean. I feel like once you've already made that decision to go in entrepreneurship and you really start doing something, you you stop caring as much because you, you get a lot of backlash early on. Like when I started my first business, um, which I had mentioned, he was a network marketing business. One of my my best friend at the time, who was my cousin, said to me, "You know, I I don't I, I see what you're doing, and I'm gonna have to do whatever I have to do to see you fail." I'm like, "Dude, that's like not cool. We haven't talked in you know eight years now." Um, but you have to kind of understand, like maybe the the people that you thought were always closest to you aren't. And that's why you have to learn how to judge actions and learn how to judge communication and things like that. Um, because there are people that will try to bring you down to their level. When you were going through high school into mm-hmm. college, uh-huh. how did you view yourself? Like, how would you have described yourself to another individual? Oh gosh, man, this is, this is difficult to describe because I was a, a kaleidoscope of things. I was a big muscly nerd, like, like, um, you know, I'm five foot seven at that point in time, I was like 210 pounds. Cause I was, a, you know, lifting some really heavy stuff, but I was like smart as anything. So it's like, I'd be in class and they'd be like, Oh wow. The, the muscly kids answering questions. And I was like leading conversation and stuff like that. So I was kind of like a, I guess what you would call a, a dichotomy of different things. Like I was, I, I was a few things that just didn't seem to match up because usually the ones that, are, you know, look like that, you don't think are intelligent. And the ones that looked like they're intelligent, you don't expect them to be the other way. So for me, that that's kind of how I was, and a lot of kind of how I still am. Um, I've just kind of slimmed up a little bit. <laughs> why did uh, powerlifting? I believe that's what you said. Yeah. Um, why did powerlifting call to you? Like, what what made you want to get into that? 
Um, so I was a wrestler first and foremost. So we, you know, we worked out and whatever to do that. Um, any other sport other than baseball, I had no coordination whatsoever. Like, so the thing about weightlifting, man, is those weights, unless I move them, they don't move. So that's pretty good. So that was something that I could incrementally get better at. You know, it was five pounds here, 10 pounds here, 15 pounds here. So like to be able to do something like that, it was something I could control and something I could make a regiment around. And I always felt pretty darn good afterwards. You know what I mean? And you would see your results after doing that. So I, I think it was the, the gratification, the better feeling about yourself and, and really um, that I enjoyed the competitive nature of it because I'm naturally a very, very competitive person. So um, one of my, my workout partner in my early 20s um, ended up going professional in bodybuilding. So we would kind of like, you know, compete against each other. Well, you just did that. Okay, well, I'm going to do this. Or you just did that. Okay, I'm going to do this. So I think for me, it was always like, a competitive thing. And it, it's still a competitive outlet for me, even though I don't work out with anybody else now. It's, you know, just kind of me solo doing my thing. As you're progressing in, in all of your different areas, right? You have your, mm -hmm. your physical, your intellectual with your reading and, and your business, your emotional and all, all these different, all these different, um, avenues. Do you find that you progress, um, like steadily or that you make big leaps at a time? So I, I think with, with anything, right, like you make your big leaps in the beginning, like, you know, like with weightlifting, like you're going to get really strong really fast and then you're going to hit a plateau. And it, I think it's that way in anything. And then it becomes an incremental change. Like how can you slowly do that change? And, and I think that's why consistency is like the most vital thing. Because even what I look at with my podcast, you know, I had 10,000 downloads in my first 30 days, which isn't bad. Like, you know, like that's, that's really good. And it continued to slowly build on that. But then it became the consistency because, you know, even now I'm still booking guests that I was trying to book four years ago. Like we just had Guy Kawasaki on the show and I just had Dave Asprey on the show. So these are like people that I had to follow up with for a very long time to do that. So, you know, you're going to have your leaps in the beginning, but it's the consistency that creates that incremental change, which is going to get you there. Because I, I think the whole idea of, you know, the overnight success in anything is just bullcrap, man. Like it's just not true. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes, you know, consistently getting that, you know, what Malcolm Gladwell calls that 10,000 hours, man. As you were going through when you were trying different things and you were in school and then you were working for, um, for some other, some, some other businesses, um, at what point or, or rather what made you say, that's it. I'm starting my podcast. This is the thing. Yeah. Um, so in 2015, I, um, well, first of all, my college professor in like 2009 had got me listening to podcasts. So I've listened for like a long time when it was like, you had to be like really committed to find them. Um, and it was something that I always just entertained myself with. And I was always like, you know, I'm going to start one, ah, but it's, it's hard. Oh, I'm going to start one, but it's hard. So it was finally like in 2015, um, I spent a month in Peru and, um, that was for Rotary International. We did this like really cool trip. I went all over the country and spoke and, and whatnot. And, um, I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to start that podcast. I came back and I did it and it was crap. It was literally horrible. I ended up quitting about 60 days in, but I took that leap. And I think you have to take that first big leap. And then it kind of went a little bit further through the year. And then September that year, I got married and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. And, I, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, learn everything I need to learn about it and launch this thing. And that was the difference. I decided I'm going to approach as a professional. I'm going to approach this the right way. And I think it really was just not seeing success at a lot of things that I finally decided, okay, well, what am I really good at? I'm really good at learning and teaching. So let's do that. Let's, let's do that in this way. And I decided I'd just be the ultimate student. And that's what podcasting allowed me to do. You know, I started asking questions that I know people in my shoes would want to learn. And it was interesting because a lot of people wanted to hear the answers to those questions. So, so for me, it, it grew really, really fast off of that. You said, I believe you said that um, you wanted to learn as much as you could and then do it right, approach it like mm -hmm. a professional. Yeah. What were some of those key things that you learned in the beginning and how did you go about actually getting that knowledge? Well, the, the first thing was systems, right? Like you need to have a system around what you're doing. So um, my original podcast, I was like, all right, we have a podcast episode tomorrow, right? Let's sit down and record something. So it'd be me like talking to my computer screen about like, you know, life and motivation and blah, 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 like things I'd heard in a book somewhere. Like it wasn't something that I owned, if you know what I mean. It wasn't something that I possessed as knowledge. So it was crap. There was no structure behind it. So I was like, okay, well, 
what does this show need to do? Well, it needs to sound good. Okay. So I went out and learned some stuff about audio. So I, I you know, read some articles, watched some YouTube videos, did some stuff on audio. And I'm like, okay, good. What else do I need to know? Okay, well, content. Well, how do I create content? So I went out and found some information. Well, how do you invite guests? How do you, how do you find the right people? And you know, what's this thing called the content calendar? Because a lot, I think a lot of podcasters don't even think of that. You have a, you actually have a running spreadsheet or whatever of all the shows that you're going to have lined out for months. So that way you know what's going in the future and you can actually plan on that. Um, the other thing was like my design with my previous show, meaning like the graphic design was, it was bad, man. Like I, I actually designed it in Microsoft paint. Um, so it was like, it was really bad. And I made the mistake of not Googling, does somebody else have the same show no, show name as me before I did it? So I had the same exact show name as somebody. So um, it was called Rock Your Life. So I got rid of the uh, the O and the Y and it became Rock Your Life. Um, so it just was not a good experience. So then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do a better job about this. So I learned how to use Photoshop and I learned how to do a lot of these different things and actually created my first graphics myself. And it was enough to really appear professional, um, you know, do some really good. They weren't real good interviews early on, but they got better the more I did them. But it was just a difference in approach, and that creates a difference in the results. And that's really the things I was looking at. How did you go about getting your first guests? I made a list of the top 100 people I admire, and I kind of ran out around 25. So I went on Amazon and started looking at different topics and who was writing books about those topics. Because if they're writing books, and that means they have a lot to say or they want to promote themselves. So that was how I got a lot of my early guests. And that top 100 list I've continued to add on to, and I've continued to add on to. And you know, it's in the hundreds now of people that I want to interview, but I've really chipped away at that original list, man. Like I, I've probably hit somewhere in the 70s of the original list of people that I wanted to interview and you know, more that have come upon that. And I've, I've learned a lot more as I've went along about like different ways to contact, like different people to talk to and things like that. Like, for example, if you want to book somebody for a podcast, you never want to talk to uh, their speaker booking agent because speaker booking agents get paid for appearances. So you don't want to talk to that person. You want to talk to, you know, either the person themselves, their PR representative or their personal assistant. Like that's actually who's going to help you get it done. So I learned a lot about like, how do you actually do this, man? Because I, I think a lot of times... We get scared when it's something we don't understand. So you, you learn it, understand it, apply it, and you know just get better as you go along. What sort of technology did you use in the beginning to mm -hmm. like host it and edit it and distribute it, and how has that evolved over time? Well, my first podcast that didn't go so well, I used SoundCloud, and I found out like, hey, SoundCloud is not meant for podcasters. So I discovered Libsyn, and I've actually been using Libsyn um, for the Create Your Own Life podcast since day one. So I've been using that for years for hosting, and they're great, and I love them. In terms of recording, um, I was using Ecamm Call Recorder in the beginning, um, and I kind of started to not really like it because – you know, it's no problem to them, but Skype sometimes can be inconsistent, right? Like if you have a bad stream day or whatever, it can get a little funny sounding. So I started looking for softwares that didn't record over um, IP, which is internet proxy. I wanted to find things that recorded natively, like on my side and on the guest side. So I found this product called Zencaster, and I used that for a bit, and that was really good. Like several hundred interviews I did on that. And then lately I've been using something called Squadcast, which records on my side and the guest side and then goes up to the cloud. Um, and I think in July of this year, they're going to start actually doing video in the same way. So that's really exciting as well. So I'm always trying to see like, how can I do that? Um, in terms of like miking, um, I've used this ATR 2100 since day one. It's been a great mic. I've been very, very happy with it. Um, in terms of editing, I started out with GarageBand because it was like four bucks. It's great. Didn't take a lot of ability to use. And I eventually learned how to use Adobe Audition, which, you know, is the go-to for a lot of audio editing. What were some of the first hires that you brought on to help you delegate and outsource? Um, the first thing was actually hiring a designer to redo a lot of my branding, a lot of things like that. That was a really big deal, and it was it was a, a pretty big spend at the time. It was a few thousand dollars to hire a designer to do a lot of the stuff right. Um, then I brought on somebody to do editing, which is really important. My whole editing system is processed. like It's written up, it's videoed, it's done like that. Um, then I brought on what I call a VIP guest reach out, somebody that does a lot of the reach out for me. And that's pretty much for the podcast, like all I have like posted. Then we have our, you know, our actual business where I have like, we have a publicist that works for us. We have, you know, somebody in sales, we have somebody in and reach out and stuff like that. When it comes to the podcast, mm -hmm. what things do you still do and like how much of that time how much of your time does that take up on a weekly basis? 
So it depends because what I what I was doing is I was doing interviews only on Fridays, um, you know, like two days a month. And I actually found out early on that not everybody has Fridays available. So I changed it to one Friday and one Wednesday a month. So I've been doing that. So it depends on the week on what the interviews are going to be. So like, you know, yesterday was an interview day for me. So I did, I think, six interviews, but now I'm good for a couple of weeks. So in terms of that, I've really structured it in a way so the time I'm spending is good time. Um, and there may be like a guest here or there like that I may reach out to myself. Like I just had a phone call with a guy that can hook me up with, you know, two guests that I've been trying to reach with forever because he has personal relationships with them. So things like that, I may go for like a bigger guest, but my typical reach out, you know, have an intern doing that. Um, I have somebody, you know, paid to do editing. I, I, um, in terms of like social media posts, like I'm still writing a lot of that stuff myself because I feel like a lot of the copy has to have my vibe. Um, but I've had to look at it. Like it's only a couple hours a week. Like it's not crazy because I figured out how to really structure my time and systemize a lot of things. I've taken a lot of time out of my processes, like even how my show booking works, you know, they book through my booking link and everything up to them showing up on the interview is done automatically. Like I don't have to do anything in that process. Once you finish an interview, mm -hmm. what is your distribution system look like? I use Libsyn honestly for a lot of it because like once you upload there, it goes to iTunes, it goes to uh, SoundCloud, it goes to um, Google Play, it goes to Spotify. You can actually even upload it to YouTube, um, even if it's audio only, where they put a static image in front of it, which is your show cover art. So for me, that's really what distribution looks like. Now, I'm spending a lot of my time right now on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is huge. So I'm writing like long form content and doing videos and things like that there. Um, Facebook and then Twitter. And also, like, uh, I think I'm doing, like, some headliner videos and stuff on Instagram. So that's, like, really what I'm doing. But it's, it's set up in such a way that a lot of this only takes me a few minutes because I'm using a lot of the same content um, but, you know, using it in different ways because you have to make it native to each platform that you're on. We've talked a lot about the, uh, the podcast side. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about your other business and really dive sure. deep into what you all do and, you know, what you're trying to accomplish there? Absolutely. So the, the, the big thing that we actually help people do is we're like a PR agency for the podcast space. So we help people to locate the right shows for them because like you don't need to be in front of just anybody. You need to be in front of the right person. The right person has to hear your message because that's the person that's going to impact and help to make that transformation. And then, the, you know, the other part of it then is really helping them nail down the three key things that every guest has, which is story, message and call to action. Your personal story has to line up with what you're teaching. And you have to tell somebody where you want to go because, like, you've probably seen this with guests you've had on the show. Like, hey, thank you for this great interview. Where can we find you? Well, my website, my Twitter, my Instagram, my grandmother's address, and here's this, here's that. They give you, like, ten things, and the person listening has stopped listening after the first one. So we really try to help them nail down, like, where's the one place you can send somebody and what can you give them there so they opt into either, you know, maybe your email list, your Facebook group, or whatever it may be, wherever they can continue that relationship with you. And then after that, we really help you put together a lot of your media presence, and we have um, publicists on our side that then help with your scheduling, your booking, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a done-for-you process of, you know, taking you to make the best version of you and then featuring you in the right places so that you can make the impact you're going to make. What's, like, your ideal clientele? Like, who would be a perfect fit for you and your business? Well, we've helped a lot of different people from business coaches to authors to people with apps. But we find that the people that we can really home, hit home runs for are people that are in the health space and writing books. Um, that's where we found a lot of our, our clients to be, you know, home runs. We've, we've helped a lot of doctors, a lot of naturopaths, chiropractors, people like that. Um, that really have a message and a passion and want to get out there. And, you know, we, we I guess we just have the right vibe for them. And we, we've had a lot of the, the right results for them as well. So as you're doing all of these amazing things, like you have a top podcast, mm -hmm. um, you have an awesome business, you're helping a lot of people making a huge impact. What's been going on in your personal life this whole time? Uh, I've been married since 2015 to um, the woman that I've been with almost 10 years now because we've been we dated for a really long time. We're engaged for a long time. Um, had a baby in October of last year. Well, well, I didn't. She did. Um, it would be impressive if, if men could have babies. Um, and she's, uh, gosh, she's over four months old now. We're just getting ready to take her on her first vacation actually next week to Rome and the Amalfi Coast. So, you know, really, really excited for that. Um, and we just, we do a lot as a family. You know, my wife is my business partner. She's my best friend. So it's just kind of, we're together a lot and we love it. You know, we're, we're always doing stuff, skiing, all that kind of fun stuff. What does the future hold for you? 
in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So there, there's two sides of that, and I feel like I sound like a maniac when I say a lot of this stuff. But, you know, I want to be the go-to in the podcast space, but we also want to be, you know, the PR firm to book people on podcasts as well as the training place to teach people how to really harness their podcasts. So we want to be the go-to in the podcast space. That's what we want to do. And what about with your family and, and your personal life as well? You know, to just really, for me, like, I work with my wife and I want that to continue to be the case, um, to, to be there for my daughter um, and to continue to make time for my family. Because I think a lot of people structure their life around their business and, you know, whereas we structure our life around our family. And, and, I, and I think that's what's really, really important to me. When it comes to um, really getting your podcast out there, mm-hmm. what are some of the biggest hurdles? And I know you mentioned those three things. Um, but maybe we could drill down a little bit more to them. What are some of those biggest hurdles that you see people struggling with when they do get their podcast up and running? Um, consistency, you know, like this thing called pod fading usually happens around 20 episodes where they don't release another episode ever again. And there's 660,000 podcasts in iTunes, 75% of which haven't published in years. And I, I think that's the biggest barrier is people don't plan for the future, so it ends. And I, and I think that's a problem. Um, another thing is figuring out like how to monetize. Like, like they think that you build a podcast, you get your your number of downloads up, and then you start charging per download. There's so many different ways to do this, man. Like you can sell partnerships with your guests. You can you know sell advertising as like a a per show thing, like different stuff. You, it should be feeding your business as well. Like your podcast shouldn't like your podcast is a vehicle to get you PR and attention, but it should be promoting your business. And and I think a lot of times they they people think, okay, I'm gonna start this podcast. And it's just another tactic. It's not part of the strategy because those same people are the same ones that have been like, all right, let's throw some money at Facebook ads. That didn't work. Okay, cool. Um, let's go go let's go try and get verified on Twitter. Okay, that didn't happen. Okay, let's try and grow Facebook. Let's try and grow Instagram. They jump from thing to thing to thing, and you realize that your podcast is your center content piece to whatever you're creating and it promotes your business and it gets you PR and it helps you connect with people. And once you look at it like that, you're going to continue doing it. But I think people quitting early on is the number one thing. Like they don't put in the time and consistency to see the results that they want to see. When you first start working with a new person who's uh, doing a podcast or hosting a Mm -hmm. podcast, what are some of the first steps that you take in order to like understand exactly what's going on in their business. So are we, we're talking about like the podcast side rather than the guesting side. Okay, yeah, cool. Podcast side. So, so we kind of look at like, you know, what's the product that you, that your business creates? Because I think a lot of times people are like, all right, here's my podcast. How do I monetize it? Well, we need to look at how can we connect this to their business? And I think a lot of times you're going to find the two brands aren't aligned. So you need to find out first and foremost, how can you align those brands? The other thing that, that I find as well is people aren't trying to interview a high caliber of people on their show. And that's not to say they're not talking to cool people. They're talking to very cool people. But the caliber of the people that you're talking to actually is going to help your grow to show to grow as well. And it's really, really important to what you're doing because there's this thing called positioning, right? Like whoever you're seen with and what you're seen against is something that helps you to be well-known. So the more well-known people that you're seeing interviewing, the more your own standards rise and the more your own viewership rises. So it's really, really important to hone your own expertise by talking to the right people as well. I think sometimes people are just scared to approach bigger names. So it's, it's about, you know, really nailing that down. And then from there, looking at like, how can my branding be better? How can how I'm sharing my content out be better? Because I think a lot of people think it ends at the episode, and it doesn't. It ends with what you do with the episode. It ends with where it goes. Let's say you just have a podcast. Not not mm-hmm. that a podcast is like, oh, just mm-hmm. have a But let's say you're focusing only on your podcast, and there is no other business outside of that. Mm-hmm. Can you still monetize that, and how do you go about doing so? You can, but here's the thing I would say is you're going to need to be a little, be a little bit more strategic about it. You're not going to be – because a lot of – here's the thing. Like I think like 2% of all podcasts are going to get the numbers that they need to, to do the traditional advertising, which is cost per thousand or CPM. So you need to be very structured about how you do it. Like what products can you sell then that are related to your podcast? You know, What sort of relationships can you have with your guests? Because a lot of your guests may have a high-ticket item that you can be then presenting and um, – then being able to, you know, basically get a commission off that or something like that. And you, so, so I think that you need to figure out how you can structure it in that way, if you understand what I'm saying. 
Let's dive into working with those guests to sell those higher ticket items. It seemed like that's pretty much affiliate marketing, right? Yes. Um, how would you go about structuring that deal with the guest and then presenting it as part of the show? Well, it's going to be a little bit different for, for every single guest because it depends on what their system looks like. But sometimes it may be you know an affiliate code where they say, hey, come to this website and put in this code. Or they may have a special link for you. Or they may have, hey, when you get on a call, make sure you, message, you mention Ben or something like that. So that way you want to figure out what that system looks like first and foremost. Then you want to figure out like, hey, what you, the question to ask is, what does your rev share typically look like? Because they're probably going to have a referral structure they already have in place. And, and then after you have those things down, you're going to want to figure out, okay, how does this pitch fit with my show where it doesn't ruin the episode? Because I think too many times there's a balance between pitching it and feeling it's like it's an infomercial nobody wants to listen to. So you really want to structure the content in a way that you know it creates the want and shows somebody that you can help them, but it also ends up in such a way where it's going to sell the product as well. And you also want to look at how you can do that in your email list and your social media too. So when whenever you have an episode, it seems like you would present the offer in that episode itself, and then you'd also have some follow up afterwards. Like how does the how does the back end digital marketing and social media marketing mesh with the uh, podcast itself? It's really going to depend for each each guest because it depends on what system they set up to depend on what you're going to set up. You know what I mean? Like if they don't have a tracking link, then you're going to have to create your own with like pretty links or something like that. So it's such a case by case basis. It's hard to kind of put a an overtop thing on it. Well, I appreciate you uh, answering all these questions. Clearly, you're, clearly you're an expert on this and, and you know what you're talking about. Um, and, and a lot of these questions I actually have myself. So <laughs> glad I could help, man. Yeah. Um, so one of the the foundations of this show um, is connection, right? Connection mm -hmm. between you and I as friends, you and I as mm -hmm. guests to host, you and the audience, me and the audience, the audience members between each other. And I'm fascinated by connection. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, what is your philosophy on establishing real, genuine, and meaningful human connection with another person? Just figuring out what I can really admire about them or what they're doing. Because because I think too many times people are superficial at what they're doing. And for me, to really have a connection with somebody, I have to have some admiration about some part of what they're doing or who they are as a person. So that that's really where it always starts for me. Because I feel like it's very difficult if you can't find something to admire about somebody or what they're doing to really be interested in what they're doing. So for me, that's first and foremost a connection thing. When, when you're going out and getting your guests mm -hmm. um is that kind of what you base your you know you you mentioned the top 100 list mm -hmm. like how exactly do you decide okay i admire this person or the, i admire this person but i don't want them on the show like how does that all work for you that's tough, man, because it's even like hard for me to answer, well, what's your ideal guest? Because for some of them, it's even kind of like it's a case-by-case -case basis. Like they may be awesome, but they may not be for me. Um, you know, one thing is I'm always looking at, well, what can I learn from this person? Because if, it may, if it's somebody I haven't featured before, like in that, like, like, you know, are they a pilot or something like that? Like something I haven't featured before is going to be of interest to me. Um, you know, another thing is when I wrote my original pitches, I spent eight hours writing individual emails to each of those hundred people, man, because like it, I had to show like how what they were doing mattered to me. And I think that's why I had so much success early on. I think too many times people just write the pitch, the same pitch to everybody, send it out and sometimes even forget to change the name tags in them, which that's funny when that happens. Um, but it, it really is important to show, you know, how that person's mission matters to you, because I think too many times when you base it on numbers, it's not always great. When you are interviewing somebody who is just an absolute rock star, mm -hmm. just totally one like, let's say it's your biggest interview, right? Sure. How do you go about making sure that they leave that interview saying, man, Jeremy, that was the best freaking interview I have ever had? Gosh, you know, you know. I feel like that's so hard to answer because early on I did tons and tons and tons of research on guests and I, I feel like more or less you, you like kind of learn how to wear your hat as an interviewer. You know what I mean? Like you kind of learn how to ask the right questions and, and continue that curiosity line. So for me, it was just continuing to hone my craft and getting better at it. And I feel like after I did 200 interviews, I felt like I was pretty good at it at that point. 
And then it's just making people feel comfortable when, when you talk to them. Because I, I think too many times, you know, you'll ask a guest a question and they don't answer it. So you need to figure out, okay, well, how can I ask this question another way or in another way and in another way until I get the answer in such a way that doesn't make them feel like a jerk or, or anything like that. And, and you're always, always, always want to, you know, give extreme validation. Like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You know, I, you know, I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. And, you know, something even the introductions you do, I read my introductions with the guests there um, because it really helps to elevate them before I talk to them. So I'm setting it up in the right way too. And even in like the questions I asked beforehand, like when you ask, when I talk to a guest beforehand, I say, hey, what are you promoting right now that I shouldn't forget to ask you about? Because there's a reason that they're doing media right now and you want to make sure you know it. So since you take a lot of those things in consideration and you're, you're you know, really working on your craft as an interviewer, I feel like because of that, I have a good experience with the guests that I have. When you were first starting versus after those 200 interviews, what were some of the top things that, that you learned to do differently? And I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I'm mm -hmm. really interested in drilling down there. Can you rephrase the question? Yeah, sure. So what were some of the biggest uh, lessons learned going from having never done an interview before to after having done 200. Got it. Um, you know, make sure you know who you're talking to first and foremost, because I think sometimes people jump into an interview having no idea who they're talking to. So you want to have some good background knowledge, have some, some unique information about that person. But something I stopped doing was over-preparing because it came off like an interrogation and it wasn't like really cool. It was like, where were you born? Okay, cool. When did you start your business? Great. So it comes off like an interrogation and it's just not like, comfortable. So, so that was something I actually stopped doing as much prep. Um, I spent a little bit less time on prep. Um, the other thing too, is I actually dropped a lot of my interview structure because it, it came off, I guess, too much like a lot of other podcasts where for me, I just learned I, I, the biggest skill that I learned was how to ask questions from the eyes of my ideal listener. Um, and it's a very hard skill to learn early on because you always want to ask questions that you want the answer to, but you have to realize it's not about you. It's about the people that are listening to you. So once I learned how to do that, I was really able to control the interview in a different way. And, you know, the more interviews you do, the more you can feel the flow of it. You can feel like, hey, this person's got something they're not telling me. And maybe we can kind of just, you know, hey, a little bit further at that. Or, hey, it seems like they don't want to talk about that or whatever. You kind of learn a sixth sense for interviewing, if you know what I mean. And it's when you can learn to ask questions through the eyes of the person that's listening to you. That's when it's a game changer. Once you've done an interview with a guest, mm -hmm. how do you make sure that, you continue to, uh, or, or how do you nurture the relationship afterwards? Like, how do you stay in touch with them? Um, a lot of times adding them on social media, um, seeing what they're doing that I can promote, um, you know, every once in a while, making sure I do a shout out for them. Um, I try to do a pretty good job at this. I, I definitely will say I'm not the best. If you want to check out somebody that's really good at this, um, Justin Shank, who's the host of the growth now movement is very good at continuing to follow up with guests afterwards. Um, but I do my best to try and see how I can add value to them through, you know, time moving forward. Do you, once the, the interview has been published, mm -hmm. um, do you work with the guests to like co-promote it together or how do you, how do you, um, engage them to help promote the show as well? I've usually found out from them beforehand, like, um, who on your team is, is responsible for marketing or, you know, like, um, what, I've kind of found as well, I've kind of found as well through a lot of experience, like what type of graphics they need and stuff like that. So all that stuff is ready. Um, so, you know, I found out who's the right person to talk to. I found it through experience, what they need. So usually when they, they get everything at the end, um, it hasn't been a problem. So it's, it's in terms of that, they get a whole package of things that I know they're going to need based on, um, what I've learned over time. Could you maybe share some of those things that? Yeah, sure. So they get they get different size images, like the the fourteen hundred by fourteen hundred image, which is the typical iTunes image. Um, there is a uh, fourteen hundred by nine hundred banner image, so it's like the the rectangular one that you can use in a lot of places. Um, I do a sixty second headliner clip for them, um, which is a, one of those video clips with the text over top. And then also in my show notes, it has links not just to like. And it has an embedded audio file so they can play it on there, but it also has links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts because that way I'm trying to make it so they have every single thing they could possibly need to share and that usually you know, makes sure that they're going to put it in the right place. I also give them all my social media handles like, hey, if you're going to share on Twitter, make sure you tag me here, Instagram, blah, 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 blah. So they have a whole list of things that they, that they get so that we can kind of be on the same page with it. And how do you identify um, that? 
the right person to speak to regarding the the marketing? I mean, I know you mentioned beforehand, but like, how does that conversation actually go about? It's I just ask them. It's just it's just in the I have what what goes out to them is the checklist for a great interview. Like, make sure you have a microphone, make sure you have headphones. Um, you know, who is the person on your team responsible for marketing? So I just ask them ahead of time. And if they haven't told me, I just ask them again after the interview and usually find out who that person is. Um, you know, if they're a solopreneur, it's going to be them. But most of the time they do have somebody that's like their creative director or their head of marketing or somebody that's going to do it for them. That's great. Well, Jeremy, I do appreciate so, so much all the time that uh, that we've been able to share together on the interview. I just have a few more questions for you. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, then we'll wrap up. Um, you know, we talked about connection earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I was really interested in, in your philosophy on that. Um, but out, outside of that realm, um, what is your greatest theory? Greatest theory? Wow, that's a broad question, man. Um, gosh, greatest theory. I think that people are inherently good. You know, they, they try to do the right thing. You know, sometimes people do the wrong things based on experience or life or whatever. But I think that my biggest theory, and I would really think it's a law, is that people are inherently good. You know, that's, I don't think there's any bad people born, you know, they become bad over time. What's your biggest fear? Public speaking naked. I I, I don't know, man. I'm not really afraid of anything. I, I've kind of, you know, I was afraid of heights, but you know, not anymore. Um, I was afraid of skiing. Now I love it. So I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't really feel like I'm afraid of anything. I'll kind of try anything. I, I actually love skiing too. I'm glad you, uh, glad you said that. <laughs> Um, yeah, man. It's, it's, I, I only learned to ski about uh, about seven years ago. My, my wife had me on like black diamonds like a couple months after I learned. <laughs> Good thing you didn't uh, hit a tree or anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't pull Sonny Bono, man. So again, Jeremy, I want to thank you so, so much for uh, for coming on the show. Two more questions for you and then, sure. uh, then we'll wrap up. Um, the first is, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today. In other words, what did I miss? No, you know, we, we hit on a, we hit on a lot more than I think a lot of people have asked me. So I I don't think you really missed anything, man. And then final question. Um, I'm 24, Mm -hmm. right? I have a couple different businesses and this show is truly my greatest passion. Um, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? my favorite question I'd ask all my guests. And that's what, what did you believe at 21 that you don't believe now? Can you please answer that question? I thought that, um, you know, like life was, you just got a job and you work there the rest of your life. I didn't realize you could like be an entrepreneur because I had no idea. I come from a very blue collar family. So I think to me, like it opened up a whole new world when I knew like, wow, there, there's people that own businesses and, and make money and you don't just have to work for somebody. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jeremy, <laughs> Thanks, again, thank you so, so much for uh, for the time that uh, we've been able to share together. I really do appreciate it. And to everybody that's listening, I want to thank you all so much for supporting the show and watching and listening. Um, you all are the reason that I do this, and I love you guys very much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you want to wrap us up? Absolutely. What do, you, what do you want me to wrap up with, man? Maybe a catchy tagline or a call to action <laughs> or something cool. Cool. Well, if you're looking to be a... Uh guest on top rated podcast we actually put together a worksheet for you that can help you do that that's going to help you locate the right market and uh, help you figure out how to actually pitch yourself to those shows that's over at commandyourbrand.media slash checklist because podcasting is the thing that is going to transform you from where you are now to where you want to be that's awesome i'm going to go download that checklist right now (laughs) um so yeah everybody's listening highly encourage y'all to go grab that checklist and please 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 uh you know, reach out to Jeremy and show him some love on social media. That would be awesome. Um, so thank you so much. Um, this has been another Project Egg episode where we interview entrepreneurs so that you can build your business, create your dream life, and we can all build a better world together. Thank you so much.